0: From them. Scott comes from the Kenilworth, New Jersey area, and he's going to be sharing our Bible study times in the morning. Brother Scott. Good morning. There actually is a Scott Duncan, um, some of you may know him, so I'll be pleased that uh, he was mixed up with me this morning. <clears throat> I thank you for inviting me to come, I appreciate it very much, and I, my hope and my prayer is that the things that the Lord has taught me and challenged me with, uh, delighted me with, as I share them with you, that, that will be your experience as well. And indeed, that we will hear from the Lord this morning. Um, If you'd like to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. I know this is uh, certainly a common experience among us. I'm sure of it. It happens to me as well at times when you're reading the scriptures and uh, you come across a phrase and it just causes you to pause and just meditate. Um, If you wear glasses like I've started to do, you take them off and think. Um, Something just strikes you about a phrase and. Much of what I'd like to share today came from that experience as I sat having my own devotions in the morning. I was here in Luke chapter 14 and uh, actually I think it was while I was preparing for something for a youth group. And uh, so here, chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. It was that phrase in particular that just, well, as I said, caused me to take my glasses off and just look out the window and think about just uh, what that meant, that there were those who watched him closely. I began to have certain thoughts regarding that myself. And I found that Luke uses the... uh, sense of sight often in recording the life of our Lord as he does here. Even at the beginning of his gospel where he writes, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses. He writes of the shepherds who said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And then there's Simeon and that wonderful story of Zacchaeus, uh, that demon-possessed man, the crowds, the multitudes, and you even remember Joseph and Mary at that time, they went seeking the Lord. His brothers as well, seeking Him. And Luke records it over and over again, even till the completion of our Lord's earthly ministry. Luke continues, even beginning the book of Acts, by recording for us how... While the disciples were watching, the Lord was lifted up and a cloud hid him from their sight. Some good thoughts Luke brings to our attention with a sense of sight directed towards the Lord. Go back a few pages, if you will, to chapter 6, Luke chapter 6. Luke actually records two times uh, that there were those who watched him closely. And uh, here in uh, chapter 6 and verse 7 is the other one. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely. Now I know the context of both this passage and the other one. But I admit to you that my thoughts began to go beyond the context just because of that phrase, what it would mean to watch him closely. Now, those who are watching him in this passage and the other one, well, I don't know if the word scoundrels is the right word to use for them, but I wasn't thinking of them so immediately. I was thinking of myself, and I was thinking of what it would have been like back in that day when the Lord was here in the days of his flesh. And if I can borrow a phrase from Luke, he speaks of those who had a noble and good heart. Or maybe uh, those who were devout Jews. To imagine them watching the Lord closely. So, maybe we can take one example. Maybe we can take one who uh, had heard about the baptism of John, had gone out to John, been baptized by him, confessing his sins. You know, that was the way that God had to prepare his people for the Messiah. And some rejected the will of God for themselves, and so they were not prepared for him. But there were those who were. And that was part of the way God would prepare them, was this baptism of John. So let's take someone who did that. And in that sense, they were prepared, and they had heard of this Jesus. He was coming to their town, and uh, he said, well... I don't have too many things on my list of, uh, to do today, so maybe I'll just take the day and follow this man and watch him, watch him closely. And I wonder what you and I would have seen. I think we know what we would see. We would see such a compassionate man, such a gentle man, Loving and patient and good and perfect in everything. Even when he was rebuking someone, he did it right. Truthful. Just a beautiful, a lovely person to observe. Now we know that the scriptures say that he had no appearance, uh, lovely appearance that we should desire him. It wasn't that he was physically a beautiful man, but everything he did and just his way with people the way he interacted with them it must have just been well let me give you a word this young sister used we were in a Bible study and I asked this question I said what would you have thought if you had followed him for the day you had gone home and after watching him for the day what, what conclusion would you come to about him and uh, this one young sister said um, I think I would say that he was remarkable <laughs> You know, and that just stuck with me because it's true. I mean, what a remarkable person the Lord Jesus is. Beautiful. And to watch him as he interacted with people, the great love and compassion. Yes, there were times when he overturned the tables, scattered the coins, but even that, again, he did it right. This last Sunday, I was with um, my sister and her family. I was sitting there in the pew, and my nephew was sitting next to me, one on one side, one on the other. And the one on uh, the right side of me, his name uh, is Grant, and um, he's seven and a half. He wants to make sure you know he's seven and a half. You know how it is. <coughs> I'm 44 and three-fourths. I mean, we don't say it that way, but <coughs> when you're a kid, it means an awful lot that you're halfway through the year. So he's seven and a half, he's just learning to read. And I looked over and he had a pen, and I guess trying to be like his father, he was underlining uh, verses in his Bible. Now I know he was doing this randomly, just underlining. And it almost looked like he was crossing some of them out. I said, What are you crossing out the scriptures for? But uh, he was doing his best to underline and trying to get his Bible to maybe look a little more like his father's. And so after he was done, he put his Bible down, and I just was curious. I said, Can I see your Bible? I just wanted to see what passages he randomly underlined. And uh, I found this one. There was only a few of them, but this was one of them. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. Hmm. Maybe that was a word from the Lord for today. What I'd like to do, both this morning and, Lord willing, the next two times, is bring some things uh, to our attention, but also I'm going to quote some other brothers. Um, now, I don't necessarily say I agree with everything that these authors have stated. I mean, if any man does not stumble in word, well, he's a perfect man. He's able to bridle the whole body also. So I don't. Uh, you might not expect perfection here because you're probably not going to get it. But uh, I've been blessed by some of these men. Uh, so much, riches, treasures in their writings, and so uh, I put them forth in that spirit. I also think that this perspective might be a welcome one. Imagine if some of these brothers were here, and you were to say, um, Brother McIntosh, do you have anything to say on this? And he was to stand in our presence and you know, share a little bit. I think we would appreciate that, or others. So with that in mind, uh, let me read this first quote to you in the context of what we're thinking this comes from a man named J.G. Bellot. He says, the, the Lord's personal and official glories were commonly hid as he passed on in the circumstances of life day by day. But his moral glory could not be hid. He could not be less than perfect in everything. It belonged to him. It was himself. From its intense excellency, it was too bright for the eye of man, and man was under constant exposure and rebuke from it but there it shone whether man could bear it or not it now illuminates every page of the four evangelists as it once did every path which the Lord himself trod on this earth of ours another has said of him he was the most gracious and accessible of men we observe in his ways a tenderness and a kindness never seen in man Yet we always feel that he was a stranger. How true this is. He was a stranger here, a stranger as far as revolted man was filling the place, but intimately near as far as misery or need demanded him. The distance he took and the intimacy he expressed was perfect. He did more than look upon the misery that was around him. He entered into it with a sympathy that was all his own. And he did more than refuse the pollution that was around him. He kept the very distance of holiness itself from every touch or stain of it. He is near in our weariness, our hunger, and our danger. He is apart from our tempers and our selfishness. His holiness made him an utter stranger in such a polluted world. His grace kept him ever active in such a needy and afflicted world. And this sets off his life, I may say, in great moral glory, that though forced by the quality of the scene around him to be a lonely one, yet was he drawn forth by the need and sorrow of it to be the active one. And I just imagine watching him would have been a delight. Now our context, though, not so much. Let's go back to verse 6, Luke 6, 6. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. And Jesus said to him, I will ask you, or them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them, and that, just love that uh, kind of poetic stuff, and he looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. How do you view him and respond in such a way as this? If it boggles the mind to think of it, we know, we know the full story, but if it troubles us to try and get a sense of why this would be, it might help us to even look at that word rage. It's interesting that word is a senseless kind of anger. It's an anger that is characterized by foolishness or irrationality. And when you think about the scene and you think about the person of the Lord and you say that some would rise up and want to destroy him, you say, that that, that just can't be rational. How is it that you view such a man and this is the conclusion that you come to? Yet they watched him closely. They, in their anger, and in their envy, and in their hatred, and in their wickedness, watched him closely. And what then of those who love him? And that was my thought. What then of those to whom he is precious? What about us? Individually? Collectively, Do we watch him closely? And does it not seem a completely reasonable necessity for God's people to both individually and collectively be taken up with the lovely person of the Lord Jesus Christ if we desire revival? Would not the Spirit of God within us graciously stir us up this very way to this very thing Would we be stirred? Since I'm the first person to speak, um, I'm going to use a little uh, illustration here. I've heard before, and I think my impression of it, that it's uh, somewhat of a famous little illustration. And since I'm the first one to speak, I'll be the first one to use it. Sorry if anyone else... Was planning on speaking of this, but uh, there's this idea of uh, wanting a revival to come. So I draw a circle, right? I draw a circle on the ground, and I stand in the circle, and I say, "Lord, bring a revival and start it right here." And for each each of us individually to be stirred up by the Spirit of God to watch him daily, closely. It seems very appropriate if we desire to see revival, that each of us individually be stirred up to that very thing. Our brother Tozer writes this, I have no faith in anything that happens to a church that does not happen to the individual if it does not affect the individual, numbers of individuals, if it only some sort of social overtone that affects everybody momentarily, I have no faith in it at all. To individually be seeking him, to individually watching him closely. Now, he isn't here with us in a physical sense, uh, in the flesh, but I'm so thankful for the brother that reminded us that he's very much here, and he's within us. as such a good reminder. And we still view him. I mean, we still view him. It's just uh, there's a very, very necessary component to our viewing him now, and I think we all know what that is. That's faith. And faith, I submit to you, um, I love telling young people this, that, because um, there's such a, uh, there has been for a long time, such a fascination with superheroes, and um, faith makes the Christian a superhero. I'm telling you, it's a superpower. You read about what it is that's been accomplished, great things that were done by faith, and one of my favorite things that um, shows to me that I ought to have a cape if I have faith is that by faith. We do not look at the things which are not seen. We, we, I'm sorry, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. To give that some thought, I mean, I'm not looking at the things which are seen. I'm not looking at the things which are seen. I am looking, by faith, at things which cannot be seen. Now, if that doesn't sound like a superpower to you. <laughs> I mean... What a beautiful thing to be able to do. To view those things which are not seen. If we were to make a list of those things which we do not see, what would be at the top of that list? The Lord. To see him. That phrase in the book of Hebrews, in the context of faith, speaks of Moses, it says that he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Enduring as seeing him who was invisible. By faith we do this. Sure, there's coming a day, it might even come today. There's a couple things I try to keep before me every day. If at all possible, I, haven't, I don't think I'm successful at it, uh, but I'm, I'm getting better. Two things always before me is that the Lord could come today. I mean, no, I mean, He really could come today. I mean, <laughs> He really could come today. And the other thing I try to keep before me is our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. It's... So I'm glad we prayed for them this morning. And the day is coming. We are going to see him. We are going to see him with our eyes. And what shall we conclude of him then? What are we going to conclude of him then? It seems like even the Queen of Sheba's phrase won't even be fitting. It's not strong enough to say the half had not been told me. I don't even know what mathematical equation you might have to come up with, what proportion you'd have to say. My goodness. And then not only just his person, the characteristics we've been talking about, which would have been seen, especially in his interacting with people, but also the glory. Visually, the beauty of his glory that we will see. What a sight. And I'm telling you that my delight of seeing him then by sight, my delight of seeing him then by sight, grows as I delight to see him now by faith. i just say that again. My delight of seeing him then by sight, grows as I delight to see him now by faith. I think about those uh, four living creatures in Revelation, full of eyes in front and in back, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And what are eyes for but to look? I'm sure there's more to it than that, but uh, maybe in my simple mind, is what are eyes for but to look? And they're looking, and they've got a lot of eyes to look. And... We are told there in their midst, in the midst of the four living creatures stood a lamb as though it had been slain. And it's that thought I hope that we will look at tomorrow. May the Lord give us many eyes to see the lamb slain, the man of sorrows. But oh, to have more eyes, if you would, right? As if These creatures say, you know, there's a little bit of room here. Can I get a couple more eyes? I want to be able to view as much as possible, to take in as much as possible. And if they blink, you know, it's like, uh, I'm sure they don't all blink at the same time. So there's a constant receiving of that wonderful glory of the person, of him. I don't know if they blink. It doesn't tell us that. I'm just wondering. It may be helpful to point out that the phrase seeing Him is akin to the phrase knowing Him. And so when we as believers speak of seeing Him and of watching Him closely, we speak of knowing Him, right? Of knowing Him. Uh, there's uh, some guys that meet in my home for a Bible study. We uh, We finally got through Daniel after... Uh, a while <laughs> and so I asked the guys what did they want to study next and there were four books that came up but what we settled on was Revelation so we began Revelation so as I began to really study that out I, I, I uh, it was neat the way, the way the Lord had it because uh, one of the brothers in the study brought up this question for which I had an answer I was so glad glad when that happens. And he says, you know, the the book of Revelation is so full of visions. There's so much that John is recording that he saw, um, so much visual there. And I said, you know, I thought about that too. And so I decided, you know, what I want to do is I want to count uh, the number of times this Greek word here is used in the book of Revelation, uh, the word for see or saw. Um, I said, I want to see just how prominent of an activity this is in the book of Revelation by counting up how many times that particular Greek word is used. And now you know that Revelation has a lot of sevens in it. So as I began to count up and I got to 20, 30, 40, 50, I'm saying to myself, I'm like, don't even tell me it's going to add up to 70. Yeah, well, it did. <laughs> 70 times. But what I failed to tell the guys, and I'm going to tell them later this month, is... Um, I should have told them this because if they go and they start counting them up in English, it's not going to add up to 70 because sometimes it's not translated as C. This is kind of fun. Sometimes it's translated as no. I know your works. Right? I see them. And so to see him, to know him, and by faith... We do this. By faith, we know him more intimately. We know him closely, if you will. And for those of us who are in him, what that closeness will reveal of him will delight us in ever-increasing measure. Brothers and sisters, We get an eternity to just enjoy Him, and what a beautiful person He is to enjoy, perfect in every every way, and to have such an opportunity to know Him now. If I get to heaven, if I had, I'm already regretting the years that were wasted. Thankfully, the Lord has returned the years that the locusts have eaten, but still. You say, my goodness, I mean, how many years I just had, didn't have concern about him. How in the world did the world itself fascinate me more than than him? Foolishness. And there's this phrase, I, I sometimes I'm, I'm reluctant to take so much from one phrase, but uh, I'll submit it to you and you can consider it there's a phrase that says uh, you shall enlarge my heart you shall enlarge my heart and I've thought about this that in glory when we're with the Lord we will be filled always right I mean filled maybe we would even say overflowing for all eternity although I've heard testimonies of people who were overflowing and they asked the Lord please stop it's too much even the joy overflowing is too much Please stay your hand. So maybe the Lord won't do that to us. (laughs) He won't devastate us for eternity by overflowing us with the beauty of his person. But we will always be filled. And yet, I love that phrase, he shall enlarge your heart, because I get the impression that all throughout eternity, he will just enlarge our capacity for more of him. And yet, always full. Always full and always increasing and knowing him, I still remember there was uh, if I do this, I'm not going to finish, but uh, I still remember being at the Workers and Elders Conference. It was in uh, Baltimore. Now you, if, if he was here, you would be upset at me that I would mention him. He's always telling me not to say his name, but you know our brother Alan I'm, in, I'm He's up in Jersey where I am from. Uh, actually, he's now in Pennsylvania, but I, I've just enjoyed so much, so frequently his teaching. I remember he was speaking there, and he was talking about eternity. And uh, (laughs) he says, uh, after, I'm paraphrasing, after millions of years in eternity, one of us is going to turn to the other and say, now that's another thing I love about the Lord. (laughs) I don't quite pound it as good as he does, but... (laughs) But it's true, you know. There's another thing. We're gonna just keep learning, and we'll be with each other. And we say,ing, you know, let me tell you something else I love about the Lord. And here's the great part about it, also, is that every time anyone says anything about the Lord to the other, when, you know what the other one will say? I completely agree with you. <laughs> this gonna believe me. That's gonna be wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. That unity. Oh, brunch more precious than we can imagine. I agree with you, brother. I agree with you, sister. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Another quote here. Some of you have heard of a a man by the name of John Nelson Darby. He says, There must always be be the eternal blessedness and preeminence of his person. And the nearer we get to him, the more conscious we will be of this. If I know a man indeed intimately, I shall surely get to know his foibles, his faults. In Christ, the more I know him, the more I shall only get to know deeper and divine excellence. There is no fear of near acquaintance, diminishing respect Towards him, The more I feel his love, the more I shall feel that he is supreme in it. Intimacy with his love only shows out its excellence and produces more adoration and love in me. Another brother, some of you have heard this man too, George Mueller. There's something in his testimony that fits in so well with our subject this morning. He says, I was converted in November 1825. But I only came into the full surrender of the heart four years later in July, 1829. The love of money was gone. The love of place was gone. The love of position was gone. The love of worldly pleasures and engagements was gone. God, God alone became my portion. I found my all in him and I wanted nothing else. And by the grace of God, this has remained and has made me a happy man. An exceedingly happy man. And it led me to care only about the things of God. I ask affectionately, my beloved brethren, have you fully surrendered the heart to God? Or is there this thing or that thing with which you are taken up irrespective of God? I read a little of the scriptures before, but preferred other books. But since that time, the revelation he has made of himself has become unspeakably blessed to me. And I can say from my heart, God is an infinitely lovely being. Oh, be not satisfied until in your own inmost soul you can say God is an infinitely lovely being. Another has written, The sorrow, if one may speak for others, is not that we spend too much thought over the mystery of the person of the Son of God, but that we retire to other objects too quickly. And William Kelly we may, I, I really enjoy this thought. We, we may find, of course, the wonder of stupidity. The wonder of stupidity. But there is such a thing as no wonder, just because there is no real thought about it. I believe this is the reason why, if there be, on the one hand, the wonder of men who are surprised, there is a lack of wonder in others, because they are too engrossed in earthly things to be really concerned And with the person that we have before us to know intimately, to seek and to watch closely. It ought to occupy us in an ever-increasing way as we move on through life. Go ahead, back a page to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Considering watching him closely, here he is, he's going to his hometown. Can you imagine what it must have been like to grow up with the Lord, watching him closely as he grew up? Um, His brothers, perhaps, his brothers uh, later on were told they didn't even believe in him. Thankfully, they came around, right, because I believe James, right, is the brother of the Lord, and Jude, and they wrote uh, books that are in our New Testament. But to watch him closely, you know, you almost can't avoid the humorous thought that any of them trying to blame anything on Jesus. <laughs> I mean, growing up, just the, the perfectness of everything, even as a child, even as a child. And uh, Joseph and Mary saying, I, I think we're going to go with Jesus on this one again. <laughs> but even the gentleness as a child, uh, the, the compassion as a child. I don't know how much John the Baptist grew up with Jesus, second cousin. I don't know how much time they spent together. I don't know what age John the Baptist went into the wilderness, awaiting the word from the Lord and his revelation to the nation of Israel. I don't know how much time he had with the Lord, but I want to propose something to you that's of great interest to me. John says that um, I did not know him. Now, he must have known him in and, uh, and, and, and a basic way. Uh, this is his second cousin. He knows who he is. But he says, I did not know him. I came baptizing with the baptism of repentance. I came baptizing that he might be made known to the nation. But he says, God told him that the one upon whom you seem the spirit descending, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so it would seem, as you re- put the details together that all though John most certainly knew who he was in one sense he didn't know that this was the son of God that he didn't know this was God incarnate until after he had baptized him so here's what's interesting about that it's because when Jesus comes to John to be baptized by him what does John say John says are you coming to me to be baptized by me I should be baptized by you Now, I know growing up, it was always the thought that because he's the Lord. Well, if he didn't know until after he had baptized him and he saw the spirit descending upon him, that this indeed was the son of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, then why would he prevent him from being baptized? It's because whatever degree he knew the Lord, however much time he spent with him, he says, well, what do you have to confess? I'm out here baptizing with a baptism of repentance. People are confessing their sins and you are coming to me, what are you going to confess? I've watched your life. (sighs) To watch him closely, even growing up. Maybe to the frustration of his siblings, but still, what a pleasure it could have been to watch such a lovely young man grow up. I'll never forget, uh, you know, some of the people I'm quoting. They're all with the Lord, including this one, our brother Tom Wilson. And I remember uh, uh, this uh, um, this point that he brought out that there, at that baptism, there at the baptism, a voice from heaven comes out and says, "This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased." And for those of you who don't know this, this it's kind of fun. He also said, "You are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased." They're both there. Wrestle with it. (laughs) But you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Maybe one for the Lord himself and one for an audience although we're not told that the voice was heard necessarily. But the point that our brother was making was that here, before the Lord had entered into his ministry, before the Lord had done a single miracle, before he began to teach publicly, this private, obscure life, so to speak, of 30 years was lived so well that his father from heaven would say, this is my beloved son. I'm well pleased with him. Everything he did pleased me before he entered into his ministry even, a perfect person in every way, pleasing his father. Well, here he comes, and he comes to this place among those which he grew up, and we'll pick up at verse 16. By the way, this is one of my favorite stories to try to visualize. What, what a scene. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So imagine the scene. All are sitting there in the synagogue where the scriptures are read and teaching prayer. The Lord stands up in his hometown among those who know him. He stands up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, now I know many of you have delighted in this, he found the place where it was written. You know, the Lord would always win in sword drills unless he was just being gracious. He could find it. He could find it very quickly, even scrolls. (laughs) He found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, you know, it's another time to think about... uh, why he stopped in the middle uh, there of the verse and we've separated them by verses but interesting where he stopped nevertheless we continue and he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down now just picture this will you picture it with me and all of, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him can you just imagine this scene the scriptures are read. He sits down, and everyone there is just looking at him. It goes on to say they, they marvel at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. But to think of them all looking intently at him, all focused on him, and how appropriately the scriptures having been read. Oh, the Holy Spirit does not do things by happenstance. <laughs> What a beautiful truth is here to glean that in the reading of the scriptures, their eyes were fixed on him. Again, uh, this doesn't work out very well because he's got some things to say to them and they will take him to the brow of the cliff and attempt to throw him off. But to have that image Before us of all looking at him, the scriptures having been read and eyes fixed on him. So very appropriate. It's in this way that we can fix our eyes on him, that we can see him, we can know him. By devoting ourselves to the reading, to the meditating and study of the scriptures. That's how we really come to know him. And here it was, their eyes were upon him. The scriptures having read and their eyes were fixed on him. And I challenge my own heart to read the scriptures and have my eyes fixed on him. Did not the Lord say at one time he, he spoke to those who searched the scriptures? They searched the scriptures for in them they thought that they had eternal life. And he said, these are they which testify of me. The scriptures you search are testifying of me. And then you love this one. Moses wrote about me. <laughs> and they were making their boast in Moses. And the Lord Jesus says, you know, he wrote about me. He wrote about me. Oh, uh, Tomorrow I hope, uh, the things I hope to put before us for our attention to, to view him even from the Old Testament. To find him, to see him, to look upon him closely, to fix our eyes upon him and to know him by being in the word of God. I love that uh, John falls down to worship this angel in the book of Revelation. And the angel says, see to it that you don't do that. Worship God. And the angel says to him, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I remember how many times I read over that. I'm like, I have no idea what that means. But <laughs> one day I said, let me just really think about this. What does this mean? And I began to look at it. And it's, it's a beautiful thought that all the prophets, that the spirit that they shared and everything that they said, the spirit that was common to all the prophets was to give testimony of him. As we think about revival, a devotedness individually to seeing him, a devotedness to fixing our eyes on him individually, to have him before us, to know him and to know him by faith, by his word. I cannot leave off with these examples that didn't turn out well. I just have another minute or two. Turn to John chapter 12. End with a few good examples of those who went seeking for the Lord. John chapter 12, verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at the feast. Greeks who came to worship at the feast. Now I know as I head into this passage, there might be some debate on whether the Greeks ever had their request granted. But uh, look what the next verse says. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And they were worshipers coming up to the feast, worshipers of God. It reminds me of Lydia. She was a worshiper of God. And if anyone would learn from God, if anyone would learn from the Father, he will draw them to the Son. And I see that he did that with Lydia. And I see that he does that here with these Greeks, that they are worshipers of God coming to the feast. And now they are seeking the Lord. They want to see him. They want to see him. With a good and noble heart, I suggest to you, they want to see him. Being those who come to worship at the feast. Another example, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. In verse 19. This is resurrection day. And then the same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, they came and stood in the midst Uh, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Brothers and sisters, uh, (laughs) there is joy for us in viewing him and knowing him. It results for the disciples of the Lord in gladness. What a beautiful thing we get out of it <laughs> to view him closely. And one last one. Matthew chapter 28. And we'll close with this. Matthew 28. Verse 9. And behold... Jesus met them. These are the women who came from the tomb. Behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. What an appropriate response to seeing him. <laughs> what an appropriate response to watching him closely and fixing our eyes upon him, resulting in being glad, resulting in falling at his feet and worshipping him and just being delighted with his person. And as we begin this conference, I I wrestled with what things to to share with you, being the first one to speak, and I just thought this was was good to put before us the Lord, to challenge our own hearts, to, to view him closely, to fix our eyes on him, to let it draw out of our hearts of gladness and worship He's a lovely person. Let's pray. Our great God, we, uh, we rejoice to find such uh, immediate access into your presence. You are the great God, the eternal God, the one true God, holy and awesome and beautiful. And as we draw near to you, we know that our confidence in your presence is It's because of the one who there by faith we see sitting at your right hand, even our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, and how we love him, and he is precious to us. And we know that you know full well, you know full well what a lovely person he is. And how you desire those of us who are your children, those of us who are his disciples, that we should desire to see him And you know that perhaps now it is a bit more difficult because it calls upon us to exercise faith to view him. And faith can be a struggle at times, but faith grows and enables us to see those things which cannot be seen. And as we thought at the top of that list would be him, we pray that by your spirit, you would stir us up very much individually and then to find it resulting in us collectively having him before us and fixing our eyes on him and being delighted with him, for he indeed is a lovely person. May we be devoted to your word, in which we learn of him. May we know him better and better as the years go on, until that day comes when suddenly he will appear before us, and perhaps say, rejoice, (laughs) and find that we fall at his feet and worship him. So we ask these requests in his name, and for his name's sake, amen.